0: Well, let me also welcome everyone who's here this morning that brave the inclement weather to come out and uh, to gather together. I know we have visitors in our midst. We're especially thankful for you being here. I hope you'll want to come back and be with us often. Um, For everyone else, glad you're here. And this morning um, will be the last sermon that I do. Wes will have a sermon next Sunday. (coughs) Excuse me. But the last sermon I do in our current theme of being holy, you shall be holy, For I am holy. And this quarter we're talking about being holy in my worship. And I've been leading up to and wanted to talk about an idea this morning. And that is just simply going to church. So we're going to talk about the whole idea. You may have noticed in the bulletin that I asked several questions. The first one, I think, um, was how do you normally refer? I had a hard time wording this question because here's what I really mean. If you talk about going to church on Sunday, how do you normally phrase that? What do you say? What words do you use uh, to phrase the idea, to to mention the idea that you are, quote, unquote, going to church? Or if someone asks you if you're religious, uh, if you're a Christian or whatever, do you, quote, unquote, go to church? Um, Is that how they normally ask it of you in your circle? And how do you normally tell people if you do that? You, in fact, go to church. So that's the whole idea in going to church. Now, let me go a little further. On the first day of the week, do we, in fact, we've come together this morning, so do we, in fact, do we go to church? Is that what we do? Or do we assemble with the brethren? Or do we gather with the saints? So in other words, I want you to think about these different phrases and any nuance of difference in them. Do we, on the first day of the week, do you consider that you go to church, that you assemble with the brethren, that you gather with the saints? Or, in fact, are all of these proper descriptions of our meeting together? I want you to think about that for a moment. What does the Bible say what does the New Testament teach us? How did it refer to Christians in the first century, quote-unquote, going to church? Did it talk about the fact that they go to church, or assemble with the brethren, or gather with the saints? Just kind of let that rest in your mind for a moment, and we'll proceed with the idea of going to church. Because more than scriptural terms, we talk about scriptural terms for a lot of things. Um Back in a couple of months ago, or several weeks ago, or whatever, when we uh, talked about the whole idea of the church, we were talking about scriptural terms for different things. Um, In a number of our lessons, we may talk about how the Bible has scriptural terms, or proper terms for things, whether it be the name of the church, or what we just did in communion, or the Lord's Supper. And different people commonly refer to those things in different ways. So, you got me doing But uh, more than scriptural terms for our coming together on on Sunday, as we've done this morning, what do we mean? And that's what I want to really get at. What do we mean when we say we're going to church? I don't know if you've ever really thought about it. I go to church. What does that mean? What does it mean if you tell someone you go to church? What does it mean, for example, and some people do this, and I know down south especially, maybe up here as well, But people will have kind of gotten away from saying I go to church because they'll say, you know, really what's important is the fact that we worship. So I'm going to worship. And I know a number of people, you know, a generation of people, one in particular that I'm thinking of that really prefers the idea of going to worship rather than going to church. So what's the difference in going to church or going to worship? Or if we went further than that, when we speak of the assembly What do we mean by that? When we say church, the word for church in the New Testament that's so often translated, when you see it, we're going to look at some passages where we do, it generally, not always, but generally is the term, the word for assembly. And so what do we mean by the assembly? What does that word mean? Or if we say the church. What does that mean? You may have heard sermons, and I'm not going to get deeply into that this morning, but you may have heard sermons, for example, that say, you know, the proper term is the assembly. That the English word, the church, maybe is a a derivative of something, uh, the house of the Lord, or something like that. That really, the translators might ought to have put assembly in there instead of church. Maybe you've heard something like that. Or maybe you've heard that what these words really mean are the called out. And I'll mention that later in the sermon. We'll come back to that idea as we get to the latter part of the sermon. But but what do we mean by the assembly? What do we mean by the church? Or when we speak of the fact that we gather together, there's that old hymn, and we sing it sometimes here, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing, etc., etc. What do we mean by that? And what are the differences in those terms? Now you might say, well, you're belaboring it, but you're not answering it. Well, let's answer it. When I go to church, I want to ask a very important, am I a, a very important question? Am I a spectator or a participant? And here's why I ask it like that. And this is what the whole point of the sermon is. Go to church, go to a movie. What's the difference? When I go to a movie or I go to a show, a Broadway show or something like that, you know, I attend that as a spectator and I understand that I don't go to a lot of movies, but, you know, several years ago, Montel and Juliet and I went to see the Santa Claus 3, you know. I was a big Tim Allen fan at the time, so I went to see that. Paid the money, went in there, sat down, watched the movie. I was a spectator. I've gone to plays, and I have gone to Broadway, but like the paper mill over here. When I sit down, I know I'm a spectator. They don't expect me to get up and come up there and help them out, I know I could, but no, I'm I'm not. But they don't expect me to get up come up there and help them out. They don't expect me to take part. They expect me to sit there quietly, respectfully, and watch the show. I go to a movie. I go to a show. Do I go to church the same way? Well, I think a lot of people have come to view the, quote, unquote, church service. Now, think about that phrase for a moment. The church service in much the same way. And when you begin to broaden out and think in terms of denomination, I got to thinking about when I was growing up and the two denominations that I attended and the one that I was really a member of and a part of. And I thought about the things that went on there and the focus of attention. And that's what I'm really getting at. When I went to church, I thought more in terms of the choir that I was part of. Sometimes the soloist that I sometimes was. And I've told you often that when I thought in in terms of church, you know, at a young age, I always thought in terms of performing. I never thought in terms of doing what I'm doing, doing right now. Not at all. Not remotely. But choirs and soloists. Now think about that for a moment. If we had a choir up here, or we had soloists that came up here, the majority of us would be sitting there as a spectator. And we would be watching Others sing, or one person sing, or as you know, as I often did, in like a quartet or something like that, singing. Sometimes there are special shows, this time of year especially. There, and, and I've been asked, I don't know how many times, maybe more so this month than, than uh, in other months, you know, in other times, other years, since I've been up here, you know, what is your church doing, you know, for Christmas or whatever? Are you going to have some special shows? And other times during the the year, and special events and big events, will your church be doing this, or will it be doing that? And there are special shows. There might be sunrise services. You know, all of that kind of thing. And people will think in terms of going to church because of all of the special shows that are going on. When I was part of a, a Pentecostal denomination, we thought in terms... I thought in terms, not just of, and a little sidebar here, I've told you before, the reason I lost my faith, the reason that I wasn't even sure if I believed in God, I didn't think I did, was because in that Pentecostal church I couldn't get the Spirit. But the Spirit, when people got the Spirit, they would do all kinds of things. The night that I lost my faith was at a tabernacle meeting, we called it, much like the tent meeting we had out here. It wasn't a tent. It was a permanent wall-less structure. But it was a summer gathering where all the churches in my denomination came together. It was a huge thing. And then these services in this revival would last for hours. And at points during, and in this particular night, when so many people got the Spirit, people were... Shouting and praising and uncontrollably speaking out. At one point, and I'm not exaggerating, in different parts, in different areas, on, and it was sawdust for a floor, but in different areas around the structure, five people were preaching at the same time. Just imagine that. One guy got the Spirit and began to run around. Now remember, there are no walls. There's only one wall behind where the preacher would, would preach and the music would take place. One guy was running around, just running around, again and again and again, and at the top of his lungs was going, Woo! Glory! And just running and running. Now, if you were attending that, you're watching the show. And a lot of people were. I was serious that night. The Spirit had never moved me to do anything. To speak out, to yell, to run around, to do any of those things. It had never moved me. He had never moved me to do that. And so I went to the altar and I begged. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I wouldn't stop. So finally people began to assist me to tell me that I had gotten the Spirit. But I hadn't. And so eventually after so much effort had been put into it, and I was sure there was no Holy Spirit, I got up and faked it. And I went home and I said, Never again. And had it not been for finding someone to teach me the truth and to teach me about the Holy Spirit, that's probably where I would still be. People go to church to watch the show. Many people. And that's not to say you. But that is to say, many people do, and I've been part of that. Even the preacher. This is my time, you know. And a lot of preachers view it in that way. I've even known preachers who would speak out from the pulpit and say, this is my time. <laughs> you know, who are you, dude? You know. But the idea of you watching me as I perform, that's, that's the idea, that's the mindset of many people. We're spectators, we're there to be entertained we're there to watch the show. And yet, consider the New Testament view. I want you to open up with me to the book of Acts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in each of these passages, but I am going to note some interesting phrases throughout these passages. So let's start in Acts chapter 2, the very first church service, if you will, when Christians first obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Now you know that Peter, that, that Peter preached a sermon about Jesus, and they were pricked in their heart, verse 37, and they obeyed the gospel. Peter told them to repent and be baptized because they did believe, of course, they were confessing that. They repented and they were baptized. And if you'll drop down to verse 42, following the 3,000 that obey the gospel in verse 41, it says, verse 42, and they... Now notice how it speaks of a body of Christians here. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship and in breaking of bread, as we've done with the communion here, and in prayers. Now notice, they, the whole body, the 3,000 souls that were added together into the church, they're all continuing. And he goes on to describe that. Drop down to verse 46. And they, it picks up the body again. And they, continuing daily with one accord. Now when you read that phrase, what does that mean? It means they're all thinking the same way. They're all thinking the same thing. When they're coming together and they're meeting publicly in the temple, because it goes on to say, and they were going home and eating meals and, you know, breaking up into eating meals. So thousands of people are gathering each day in the temple for a church service. But what happens is they are spoken of as a whole group of people. Notice verse 47, praising God. So here is a group of people joined together in one thought, in one accord, praising God. Let's go further with that. Look at chapter 4. This is when the apostles, um, they are threatened. It would be uh, Peter and, and uh, uh, John. can't get it out there. Peter and John, and they're arrested and they're threatened, you know, not to teach about Jesus. And they came back to the church. And I want you to drop down to verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own company. King James says. That is, those, their, their fellowship. Those they shared this with is literally in the original what it says. And they reported all to, that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they, notice that they again, whole church, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord again. Everybody united. Everybody thinking the same thing here. And they began to pray. And it records the prayer for you. And it will go on to say, if you drop down to verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they, notice, were assembled together. So here's a group of people that are gathered together in one assembly with one accord and all of them are praying. Now, are they doing like I was talking about earlier where five people are preaching at the same time? Now I assure you, I remember that night very well and sitting there, You could focus your attention on the guy in front of you and he was preaching about one thing. To the guy to the left, still another. And you get my point. Five people oblivious to everybody else there preaching what they were preaching and it was five different things. Is that the picture you see here? No. And even when they are all praying, when we would pray sometimes, when there was something special like this and we would pray, I would go down to the front, there would be an altar down at the front and we would all bow down, and everybody would begin praying out loud at the same time. And you would hear that. And you're praying, and somebody else over there is praying, and I've got to admit to you, at age 11 and 12, sometimes I deliberately told myself, today I'm going to be the one that prays the longest. You know, Is that what's going on here? It's not. Because if they're all praying, and this prayer is recorded for us, Some one person is leading this prayer, but everybody in heart, in spirit, in thought is thinking the same thing. He's directing the thoughts. They're all thinking. Now, is that what we do? Someone prays. Ed prayed earlier. Did we listen to that? and in heart and in spirit spirit follow along. as He prayed, for example, for those various sick people and named them, Brian and Rudine and different ones that he named. Did we think that? Were we involved in that? Well, the early church, when Luke records this by inspiration, he says that's what they did. Turn over to chapter 12. You see it similarly, and I'll mention it briefly. Here, Peter is arrested by Herod, and Herod intends to put him to death. And if you drop down in verse 12... The Bible tells us, when he had considered that Peter's let go miraculously, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, notice, where many were gathered together, Pray. Again, you see that same kind of thing. If we go further in the book of Acts, Georgie mentioned Acts 20 and verse 7. Turn a few pages over to chapter 20. Notice, we do have the precedent, as Georgie said, for gathering on the first day of the week and taking the Lord's Supper. Look down in verse 7. When the first day of the week, this is today on Sunday, when I go to church on Sunday, am I a spectator? Am I a participant? Notice the disciples came together with a purpose. The disciples, all of them, came together, all of them with the same purpose, to break bread. Take the Lord's Supper as we've done. And then, of course, Paul preaches and they have what we would call a church service, a worship service. We see that consistently in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all of chapters 11 through 14 in 1 Corinthians, but go with me to 1 Corinthians for a moment. Go down to verse 17 of chapter 11. When Paul begins to use phrases like this, when he says, now in this I declare that I praise you not. That when you come together, he's talking about, as we've come together this morning, they were coming together, only they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. That when you come together, this is not for the better, or rather, when you come together not, well if I can get it, let me start over. Now in this, I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions. Now, that's quite different than that one accord we were reading about earlier, isn't it? And I partly believe it because he said, I know there must be factions and heresies among you. It's going to make clear who really is a servant of God, a faithful person to God. But verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place. Now, that's what we've done. And this is the idea of the church coming together. And he begins to talk about how this is not the Lord's Supper because you don't have that one accord. And you're not thinking of other people. You're thinking in terms of your, your yourself. And one is hungry. And man, in the Lord's Supper, that should never be the case. When one's hungry and another is has overeaten. We're not here for a meal. We're here for a commemoration, a memorial. And so when it turns into something that the Lord never never designed, it's not it's no longer the Lord's Supper. But it goes on throughout these chapters, and you could read in chapter 12, you know, that famous passage of how we're one body. We are members in particular. We have different functions and talents. We've talked about that many times before. Different ones do different things, and so one might be described as a foot, another as an ear, still another as an eye. But we're all members together in one body. Notice as he will go on in chapter 14, and I want to go down in chapter 14, put that up, to verse 23 in particular. So read this with me. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, like we are, and everyone speaks with tongues, that would be like the five guys preaching the different sermons. Suppose someone were to walk through those doors back there, and let me just describe this. Let's say that we buy miracle. I was moved by God, enabled by God to speak Mandarin. I don't know but a couple of words in Mandarin. But let's say I was. West in Korean. Everton in, you probably know Spanish, but anyway, Everton in German. You know, still, you know, Eddy in Portuguese. And different ones speaking different things at the same time, Paul said. And what's going to happen is when someone comes into this place, an unbeliever, and he's going to see all these different people. I wondered about people driving by that tabernacle that night. That guy running around the structure, five people preaching at the same time. What is he going to say? You people are crazy. And that's exactly what Paul says here. That's exactly what he's going to say. You're mad. Now, on the other hand, notice verse uh, 24. But if all prophesy and there come in one that does not believe or one that is unlearned, He is convinced or convicted of all. He is judged of all. So you say, well, what's the difference in speaking in a lot of languages? Are everybody preaching? He's not saying everybody's preaching at the same time. There are different ways to prophesy. We are prophesying together right now. Yeah, sure, I'm the one up here talking, but you're listening and you're following and hopefully you're agreeing. And as you're doing that, someone observes that. And maybe he observes how we all take our Bibles or in some fashion we look or we you know, give assent to what is being said. We agree with it. And the guy looks around and he sees that. Or we all sing. And we're teaching each other as we sing. And we're talking about what we sing. Somebody maybe makes a comment before a song and you see some head nods. You know, that kind of thing. Heads nod or whatever. People look at all of that and they say, wow, there's a lot of agreement. And then, notice as he goes on to here, when he explains in verse 26 and he says, how is it then, brother? What am I talking about? When you come together, every one of you has. And notice how he begins to list this. Every one of you has a song. Well, there are many ways to have that, but one way certainly is when we all sing. But every one of you has a song, has a teaching. Has a language in that day, a miraculous language. Has a revelation from God. We don't have it miraculously, but we have it right here in this book. Has a revelation, has an interpretation. And he says, what you find is a lot of order. And you find a lot of agreement. And that agreement is not because we've all gotten together and pooled our thoughts and all agreed to agree with somebody's opinion. You know, the difference I found when I came to the Lord's Church and when Dale was teaching and when I became a member at Damble Road is they had classes and they talked about things from Scripture. I had never seen this kind of thing. Where you began to tear verses apart and you talk about what's there and you talk about context and you talk about what the Bible actually says and you refer to other passages that are similar. And I watch people do that and I'm thinking, man, I've never seen this in my life. And it was orderly. And when there was teaching, even if there was a disagreement, it was orderly. And when you saw all of that and you saw brethren who were in agreement because they looked to God for the direction, you're thinking, that's different. It is different. And it's supposed to be different. And so when we look at this and we see these worship services, Ephesians 5, you know the verse where people are teaching and admonishing one another in song and everybody's singing together. That wasn't like the show that I was part of as, as a child. That was something very different. We're all in spirit and in truth singing together and learning from what we sing. And we even quote songs. We quote phrases from songs. And this passage in Hebrews 10. You know the passage where we often quote the phrase, misquote the phrase? of forsaking the assembly. And we say, so-and-so forsook the assembly. How'd they do that? They miss church. You know, you, you can forsake the assembling, as it says in Hebrews 10, and be here every time the doors are open. Because what the passage talks about is the assurance you have, the faith you have, and how you come to God, being part of something. And more than that, it goes on to talk about in verse 24, of considering other people as you prepare to worship God and as you come together to worship God or assemble together to provoke them, to urge them, to stimulate them to love and to good works. And we talked a little bit about that in my class downstairs. And I asked the question how would you do that? And you know, the answers that you get, they're right, they're correct. And they, what they were saying is well, for one thing, you know, you're friendly. You're part of something and you're welcoming someone into a gathering of people and you're friendly to other people. And beyond that, you take part. You know, when the Lord's Supper is going on, when we're taking the bread and the fruit of the vine and we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus, it really isn't important, Greg, if the Steelers win tonight or they don't. I want them to win. I love the Steelers. But now's not the time to think about it. Now is the time to remember Jesus' body. To remember his blood. Suppose someone walks in here and we're taking the Lord's Supper and a guy gets up and he talks about how important all of this is. And then that guy's sitting behind you, and while the Lord's Supper is going on, you're furiously texting. And he can hear it, you know. You text, and then there's a Ooh. And you text again, Bzz. you text again, Bzz. oh, wait, you got to get that cracker. Bzz. Suppose he sees that. What does he think? If the song is being lit, you know, we have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light. There are souls to be saved. And I'm sitting there going, we've oh, heard the Macedonian call today. Oh, yeah, send the light. Send the light. What's he thinking? Other the preacher is preaching. Maybe he's not very good today. You know? And you're bored with it. And you're like, oh, brother, just get it over with. Maybe you even mutter that. What's he thinking? Is he going to look around and see all of that and say, man, the truth is right here. I need to be part of this. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is saying. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about when we assemble together. There is the assembling and the encouraging and the being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. How did the change come about? I'm just going to spend a very brief amount of time on this. How did it happen that people became spectators instead of participants? I want to suggest to you, this is what I think, this is my opinion, take it with a grain of salt. Nobody says this, you know, we don't have a revelation that says it, but this is what I think happened. If we go back and we look at the religious groups in the early centuries, they began to divide very quickly, as a matter of fact. They began to designate titles on people and to divide members in their minds and then literally into what's known as the clergy and the laity. And when you talk about the clergy and the laity, and I'm going to talk some more about this as we get into the new year and the new theme there will be some things that I'll relate to the new, t- new theme about that. But very briefly, the clergy. And who are the clergy? Well, people think in terms of deacons and preachers and priests and bishops and elders and pastors and ministers and all of those leading people as they think of them. The clergy were the people who were ordained. They were appointed, formally so, to lead. And so you heard terms like this. To lead, to preside, to perform the religious duties or the sacerdotal duties as we were taught in seminary. To exercise or conduct the worship service. And they were the ones who were singled out and separated and they became the important people in the minds of members of the church. And then everyone else all the other members, the laity, which is a word that means just simply the people. The common people. They were unqualified, you see. They were unlearned. They didn't have the specific knowledge of the pastors and deacons and ministers and preachers and all of that. They weren't ordained to quote-unquote take part. And I hear that phrase, in even among members of the church, are you going to take part today? Well, what they mean by that is, are you going to leave the singing? Or conduct at the Lord's table. Take part. And so, since they weren't ordained to take part, they became a spectator. They just watched it. While everybody else that was appointed to those positions worshipped. That's what I think happened. And down through the centuries, more and more as the whole idea of choirs began to be formed and all of that kind of... and as special shows and, you know, all of that kind of thing of performers where priests were the ones taking the Lord's... or at least part of the Lord's Supper and not everybody. And all of that together, more and more and more, the member of the church who sat on the pew was reduced to a spectator. That's the way they think of themselves. I'm not taking part today. I'm just simply here to watch. When we begin to think like that, we miss it. When we look at the passages in the New Testament, it never, ever, once speaks like that. And it doesn't matter if an apostle is speaking, or a pastor or a group of elders is presiding. It doesn't matter who is leading as we think of leading. It doesn't matter. We all are equal participants if it is a true worship service. We are to be holy. You've seen this before. This set apart, sacred, different, etc., etc. And our worship is to be holy. And we've talked about it. am I going to belabor it. You know, where we show respect, reverence for God. Where we adore Him and we're devoted to Him and we praise Him and we give our thanks to our Savior. And we acknowledge Him alone as our Master, as the one who really presides over this service. That's holy worship. Going to church, I need to prepare to go to church. I need to think in terms, you know, not just of my dress and how I look and how I smell and whether whether my hair is in place. I need to prepare to go to church by preparing my heart. And I need to ask myself some very important questions. Am I really going to go today as just a spectator? Or am I going to assemble with my brethren? Am I going to gather with the other saints who are part of this worship service? Am I going to worship the Lord with fellow Christians? My company, if you will, from Acts 4. Am I going to come together as Christians came together? Am I going to be one of those that does that? Or am I simply going to walk in, sit down on a pew, and say, Man, are they going to keep my attention today? Am I really going to church? And that's the question. You're here today and you're not a member of the church. You think in terms of what I've been talking about this morning. Maybe you say to yourself, I want to be a part of that, and I need to be a part of that. I need to give back to my Lord in appreciation. I need to be involved in worshiping Him. He deserves that. You believe in Him, and you're willing to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And today, you'll repent. You'll change your life. You begin to repent. You'll be baptized to wash your sins away. And when the Lord cleanses you of your sins, you'll be ready then to be an active participant as a Christian in every worship service and certainly every day to be such. Maybe you're here and you look at all of this and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a member of the church, but I'm more of that spectator than I am a participant. Not just here, but in my daily life. And I want to change that. And I'd like to ask for you to pray together with me. Won't you please come while we stand here?